Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, church family. Hey, so grateful for you guys being here. Uh, Man, as a student pastor who grew up, in the late 90s, early 2000s. That last song was awesome. Hey, can we give it up for our band who just does such a great job? Uh, Scott Carter played that song every Wednesday night uh, at First Baptist Church Sevierville, and I love Shout to the Lord. Um, If you ask politely, or if you look just hard enough on YouTube, there is probably a good chance that you will see an interpretive dance uh, done by yours truly uh, in high school to that song. And so if you find it, please don't share it. Um, We've tried to bury those. And so, hey, grateful for you guys being here this morning. Uh, Pastor Anthony and Miss Aaron are on, uh, on, have been on vacation, they're on their way back, uh, even as we speak. And so, much needed fall break with their kids and their family. Uh, So be praying for them as they make their way back. Um, Hey, this morning, we're talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Him being a a conquering king, not in a way that they would expect, but being a conquering king, we do so. The day after, horrendous terrorist attacks take place in Israel. It's awful. I've been keeping up to date with the body count and with what they're doing to um, Israeli people and the heinous acts that are taking place that are not okay. Um... And, and so, man, church, we, we, we stand with them, and we stand for them, and uh, we pray for them as, uh, man, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what they're going through right now. And, uh, and so, church, can we start off this morning just praying for them uh, and then jumping into the Word? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness, and that even in the darkest moments, we are not out of your sight. God, I I pray for Israel. God, I pray for their leadership, their government. God, I pray for their people who are hurting right now, who have lost so much. God, who even, as we're going to look at today, have, there's always opposition. God, I pray that you would, uh, God, that you would heal God, that you would uh, give them great bravery in the war that is ahead. And uh, God, I pray that you would bring great peace in the midst of a time where it does not feel like peace is possible. God, we pray for Israel. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, um, we are going to be in John chapter 12. We're going to be in John chapter 12 uh, as we jump back in uh, to our study of John. As we uh, look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is traditionally done on Palm Sunday. Uh, It is not Palm Sunday, but we're going to be talking about it. Um, And uh, the the Sunday before Easter, uh, before the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, And this is huge. This is so incredibly important uh, that all four gospel writers would have it in their accounts. Uh, This is, man... What a powerful moment, and, and what Jesus does here. You know, one of the things about Jesus is that he would heal people, and he would do things. And then he'd be like, don't tell nobody. Like, don't tell anybody. Like, I know I healed you, or, or, or but don't go, go around telling everybody. Well, now, he has loosened the muzzle on everybody. And now people are seeing him for who he is, and he's declaring to them that he is king that he's the Messiah. He does so in different ways. And we see this, and he shows this. And, and when we look at this, we're going to get an insight into the kingdom of God 
that um, for them, they didn't see. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, that we don't see. That I think are really important when it comes to um, us walking with Jesus as our king, as the one who reigns and rules over our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 12. We see this uh, begin to take place. And it says this, um, first, that his kingdom is established by humility, grace, and sacrifice. Listen, not by, uh, not by hard work or effort or giving or, no, but this is how he establishes his kingdom. It says this, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Of course, listen, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. All right? That's a big deal. He raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, the whole entire uh, city is already abuzz. It's Passover. Uh, a lot of things are going on. Family are seeing family. It's just an exciting time in general, celebrating the Lord. But then you hear Jesus is coming. Uh, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They, Jesus is welcome. Here's one of the things that's so important here, is that a, a king, this is what you would do for one who was coming into Jerusalem to honor them and to welcome them. The city would do this. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say these things, but it would be a lot of pomp and circumstance. Man, it would be a lot. I mean, they would put in a lot of effort. And a king would normally come in with an army um, if he was trying to show some sort of force or, or with a, a great group of people to show that he is prominent and powerful. And they could actually go, and, they, uh, and this is even great traditions, they could go in and they could commandeer any animal that they wanted. And anybody who had that animal had to give it over to a king who would then make their way into Israel. So we see this about Jesus. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus is making a proclamation here to uh, the, the, the children of Israel. He's making a, a, a proclamation here in Jerusalem that the king is here. He's doing so with people who would um, come in and lay down their clothes and lay down their palm branches in front of Jesus on this donkey. And they would say, Hosanna! Save us! And they were so excited because they'd been under the, man, the, the thumb of Rome for so long. And it was so heavy on them. And they finally had their king, the one that they'd been waiting for. And Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. They would, they would know these words. They would know uh, uh, Zechariah 9.9 that we just quoted that, uh, O daughter of Zion, shout loud. O daughter of, Zion, uh, of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. Man, they would know this and go, man, this is it. He's finally coming back. I love this. Um, it says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Jesus wasn't stopping them. Man, they were seeing what Jesus was doing. They're coming out. The probably 120 disciples of Jesus are coming out, and they're making way. He's coming. He is here. Jesus is king. And Jesus isn't stopping him. And he knows full well what he's doing and what he's proclaiming. However, it is not always done in the way that you and I would assume. Because everybody who's watching this thinks, finally, we get liberated from Rome. Finally, we can have political freedom and have a king rightly on the throne. 
And we can get Rome off our back. Maybe they're thinking, uh, we can make Israel great again. Or maybe we can just build back better. And they're thinking, man, we can have political freedom once again. And Jesus' kingdom is, is not built like that. It's not, and listen, Jesus was showing us something. He didn't come in with a war horse and an army. He came in on a donkey. Jesus was showing that his reign and rule as king is not of this warlord or dictator, but rather of a humble king. We, we, also, see, we also see that um, it's one of sacrifice. We go on and it says, uh, uh, yeah, we saw that. Um, and then, uh, so the Pharisee says to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I mean, something's happening with Jesus here. And Jesus would go on, and we'd see later on in verse 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And he's talking about Satan. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is making it very clear. This is not the normal enthronement ceremony of a king. This is not something that you go, man, this is... I mean, we're supposed to have a lot of celebration. He goes to the temple. He goes, finally, we crown him king, and we, we have a beautiful crown for him. And I was in South Africa during uh, the coronation of King Charles, and, and I was actually getting to talk with some uh, British folks who happened to be there, and they had the accent and everything. It was awesome. And uh, we, we were drinking tea, like it was the whole deal. And we were talking about it, and... And they were telling them how much money it was. And we got to uh, go back and look at videos of just how awesome that was. And, uh, man, it was just a lot of crazy, a beautiful crown and robe and just all the, the, the ceremony around it. But Jesus is making it clear that his kingdom's not like that. The one who deserves all the glory and all the honor would come, and not just with an army, no, no, with a donkey, humbly coming into... Jerusalem. He would go and he would get a crown, yes, but not of jewels and dazzling gold, but rather a crown of thorns. He would wear a robe, yes, but it would be only for a short while while the blood of his ripped open back would dry, just enough for them to be able to rip it back off after they mocked him and beat him. Instead of cheers, it was cursing and hatred and mockery. They put a staff in his hand, not to rule, but one that they would mock him with and then beat him with. His enthronement did not come in a great throne room, but his enthronement came by a wooden cross that he was nailed to, where he bore our sin and our shame. His kingdom is different, and his enthronement as king is different. And he's teaching us about himself. He's teaching the people that far more than your political freedom and what country you are born in, and what citizenship you bear. Jesus is far more concerned with your soul than he is your citizenship. He cares about your soul. Listen, they were saying, save us. Often, often, listen, some of those people who would then say, crucify him, who go, no, you didn't save me in the way that I wanted you to save me. Jesus says, I'm here to save. I'm here to reign. I'm here to rule, but my kingdom looks different. And his coronation as king looks different. 
It does not happen in the way that we think it does, what it should. But like every time Jesus does something, it's far greater. His ways, thank goodness, are not our ways. And his thoughts, thank goodness, are not our thoughts. And I love this in verse 16. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Amen. I don't know if you've been following Jesus for any time, but if there are often times where I follow Jesus going, I got nothing. I mean, I've been following you. I read your book. I, got, what is, I don't even understand what you're doing. And I'm glad that the disciples who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, were sitting there going, I, I, we're a part of this, but we don't get it. And it says this, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. There was a moment where they saw Jesus rightly and they understood what was going on and how he was saving them, even though it was different from their expectation. We see this that, yes, his kingdom is established by humility, grace, and sacrifice, but also we see this, his kingdom is for anyone. For anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. His kingdom is for everybody. It's not just he's the king of the Jews. He is the king that is opening up salvation and grace for anyone. Verse 20 tells us this. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, Greeks, when you see this, you're talking about Gentiles. It may have not all been Greeks, but you have Gentiles, those who are not born into God's people. But these were God-fearers who came and they were looking for Jesus. And Jesus would, would tell them, hey, listen, I must die. I must be lifted up. He's telling this probably to these Greeks and, and some, uh, some, maybe some Jews that are around there. He's telling them, listen, the kingdom of God is coming and I'm going to reign, but I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified for it. And that's how it's going to start. We see this. That in Romans 10, 11, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of them all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus' kingdom is not just, listen to me, the kingdom of God is not for those who are prideful and bring something to the table because you can't. It is for everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord and repent and follow after him. The kingdom's for your wayward child. The one that you've loved, but man, they've fallen away or they have never walked with the Lord. Hey, the kingdom of God is for your spouse who does not know Jesus. The kingdom of God is for your parent who may not know Jesus. The kingdom of God is for that coworker, that friend, that acquaintance, that person who's having a rough day in traffic. The kingdom of God is for them. Jesus desires to be their king. And the kingdom of God is for you. No matter what your status or your situation or your struggle, there's nothing that you've done that you have outsinned the grace and the, and the love that comes from King Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. And he has taken the throne in this way of dying on behalf of you, bearing your sin and your shame, with all the beating, all the thorns, all of that, and welcomes you as you are into the kingdom of God. I love that. Here's one of the things. The kingdom of God only has one entrance. And that's death. You go, well, he died for me. He, the kingdom's for me. But how do I become part of the kingdom? How does anybody? 
it's through death. He would tell this to the Jews and the Greeks who were listening. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must, serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Listen, at first they're going, yeah, let's do that. Like, I'll follow Jesus. He's about to overthrow Rome. Man, I get to, man, I get to be a part of that. You know, where's Jesus heading? He's heading to a cross. He's heading to death. He's heading to death. And he says, listen, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be mine, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you've got to die. I love this in, in Luke 9. It says, and, and he said to, the, to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Romans 6, 6 through 8 would say this. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Listen, you and I, have to die. When you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to Jesus. We are dead spiritually, and he makes us alive. We die to our own sin, shame. We die to our own dreams and desires, and we say, no, no, I give that up. I want Jesus. The Bible says that he makes us alive with him. He gives us new life or new birth. We are born again with new life in us. And the old life is gone. Listen, that does not happen because you brought something to the table or you earned it. You cannot give. I don't care if you give $15 million to our vision. You don't know Jesus, you're separated from Jesus. I, I, listen, I don't care if you go to church all your life. If you, listen, there are people who are filling hell right now who've been faithful to go to their church. There are people who've been baptized who are in hell right now because they were banking on that. You know, Jesus says, no, no, to enter my kingdom, you die, I bring you new life. And I give you new life. And students, I love students, and, and a couple weeks ago, we, a lot of students, and, and just trying to talk with them, it's really difficult. They're weird creatures, and, and just like trying to talk to a, a junior high, almost gets it, middle school, or junior high, I got, I got nothing. I had no idea. If you've ever talked to a junior high student for 15 seconds, that's a world record. Like, there's no way that you can go beyond that. I mean, I was talking to a kid. I was talking to a kid, and I mean, I was just, man, really invested in this conversation, looking him in the eye, and he's really telling me something. I mean, he just, I mean he's telling me some stuff, and the Lord's working on him. He's like, you ever watch the, the show? And I was like, what? no, 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 no. No, please, come back, come back. And he's like, oh, no, have you ever seen this show? I've seen this show. It's the most wonderful show I've ever seen. I was like, where did you go? Like, it's really hard to understand and talk to them. I mean, like, their attention spans are so short. And so I have to figure out ways to talk to your kids. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. And so to try to explain biblical truths of, like, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and Christ made you alive with him, and that... You, that's how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. When you place faith and trust in Jesus, you're forsaken all that and the old you dies. I had to go to the great hymn writer of our time, which is Taylor Swift. And I said, I said hey, listen, if you want to understand this, if you need to understand this, then you have to go and go, and I use this all the time, and every time it clicks for him, I go, remember when Taylor, when the, in that song, uh, that she says, um, hello? Oh, sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. 
Why? She's dead. They go, amen, amen, I get it now. I'm getting that tattooed right here, amen, bless God. I've been made alive in Christ. I'm going, did Paul have to do that? And so I, I, I get it, like, that Jesus has made us alive in him. His kingdom is one that is entered, not by some proud, arrogant person who's brought something to the table, but rather by the, the, the rebellious sinner who has seen their need in a crucified Savior and is submitting, going, God, take my life. I got, I, I, got, I got nothing, but I give you everything. And he makes us alive with him. That's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. And finally, and finally, we see that his kingdom has one purpose. It says this in verse 27. Now, is, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus is telling him, listen, for this purpose... This is why I've come. Why, why Eugene Peterson says it, that he put on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. Why he has lived the life that Adam could not live, thus keeping all the laws and commands perfectly. And now he's getting ready to die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, and then raised three days later. He said, this is the purpose. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus comes to this planet and he dies on a cross and everything he does, he does ultimately to the glory, to the praise, and to the honor of his Father. And I don't get it and I don't understand it, but in God glorifying his Father, he sees fit that would, what would bring him glory is rebellious sinners coming home. What would bring him glory is someone who is dead in their sins and trespasses being made alive by the preaching of the gospel and the regeneration of their souls, being born again. You being saved brought God glory. Me being saved brought God glory. And that is what he is most concerned about is his glory because there's nobody else worthy of it. And not only did God save you, for his glory. You now, as a member of his kingdom, now live to give that same glory to him. That is the purpose for which God has saved you, both for his glory and so that we can shout it to the nations, his glory. You know, we, uh, a couple weeks ago when we did fill the room, we give kids shirts. They have to wear clothes anyway, so might as well wear ours. Um, and we actually have students um, who are here who I saw wearing them. They say soli deo gloria on them, which is Latin that means uh, to God alone be the glory. Which is our hope is that we would live for the glory of God, that your students would live and go to school for the glory of God. And the way that they uh, do homework, that they would glorify God. I told your students, if you sleep in class and you don't try on your homework, you're not seeking to glorify God. You're welcome, parents. And listen, you backtalk your mom. You're not, you're not seeking to glorify God. Listen, we've got to glorify God in everything we do. Why? Because he has redeemed us and made us alive. Thus, there's no greatest, greater purpose for the reason we have breath in our lungs than to worship the Lord and bring our bodies as a living sacrifice to him and him alone. 
And we have them, these shirts, and they say Solideo Glory on them so that hopefully they're conversation starters with their friends that, that we send, uh, you know, between last week and this week, a couple hundred of them out into the uh, community wearing those shirts. So someone asks them, what does your shirt say? And hopefully they know, and they don't go, I don't know, Soli Deo, Gloria. Like you just read the shirt. Yeah, I got nothing. I didn't listen. Um, and hopefully they know. And it's a reminder for them that what we do in our utmost obligation is to live for God's glory alone in our marriages, with our kids, with our time. And we, we do not have time to waste. We don't. We do not have time to waste. Johann Sebastian Bach. Johann Sebastian Bach was a great composer. He was a great composer. He's famous for writing music. We just know him as Bach. But he was great at writing music. I share this with our students because, man, this was just... When I'm thinking about that, knowing this was coming up, I just, it, it just fits so well. Johann, Johann Sebastian Bach would, would take music, he would write it and compose it, and, 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 and that would long outlive him, and it was what his life was made for and what he would create with his life. It's what he created. At the bottom of every single sheet of music, he would write these three letters. S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Because this is what he wanted. He wanted with what he was best known for, for what his life produced, for what he was known for long after he would die from this earth. He wanted everything he did to sign off to the glory of God alone. For me and you, listen, what is it at the bottom of our days? Is it far too often to our glory alone? To our kids' glory alone? To my job's glory alone? Or can you and I with straight face in front of a holy God say, no, 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 I, I'd say more often than not, I live for God's glory. We're in America. That's really difficult. There is no greater purpose for which we live. Listen, we talk about this, that the generations may know him. We have it on all of our stuff. We have people with shirts on that say, listen, it's not just a good banner for our giving campaign. Rather, it is the reason that, we, that God has saved us and redeemed us so that we could glorify him and tell another generation of his glory. Because here's the deal. This is why I do student ministry. If you ever just wanted to know why I do student ministry, Judges 2, 10 through 12 says this. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. A generation died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and went after other gods from among the gods of the people who are around them. They went after gods of the culture and the people that were around them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. We want to build a building, yes, as a tool. So there's not a kid that comes through our church that doesn't get to hear of the wonders of what Jesus has done. We get to tell about the glory of God. 
We get to do that with families, with individuals with special needs. We get to do that with those who, um, uh, with uh, adoption and, and foster care. We get to do that on Sunday mornings and we get to do that with students who fill a school. Why? Because there's no greater thing that we can pass on than proclaiming and telling of the glory of God so all the generations may know. But it does not just happen because a sweaty guy preaches on stage. Rather, it happens when you and I tackle Sunday. I'm not talking about Monday. I'm talking Sunday. It's when you and I tackle Sunday and say, you know what, listen, I know I'm not going to be perfect. It's going to be inconsistent. But I want to, at the end of my Sunday, I want to be able to sign S-D-G on the end of my Sunday. I want to wake up on Monday and I'm going to make a conscious effort So at the end of my Monday, it's not I live for Dominic's glory alone, for my kids' glory alone, for my wife's glory alone, for Connect Church's glory alone, but rather I lived and I operated and I breathed and I dated and I was married and I talked to my kids and I talked to my coworkers and I went to my neighbors for the glory of God alone. May this be the banner scripture over our lives. Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Time is too short. Lostness is too prevalent for us to seek glory for ourselves. Thus robbing from others the good news of Jesus who has a kingdom that he's made for people, everyone who would call on his name to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you're one who maybe like the disciples, you, you, you've seen what Jesus has done, right? You've, you've been a part, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time or, or maybe you're new, but you've kind of seen the things Jesus has done. But maybe tonight or this morning, you've actually begun to see Jesus clearly, kind of like the disciples did, where they saw him for who he was. The rightful king who, who is deserving our, of our adoration, our surrender, and of giving our lives and our allegiance to. Maybe you see Jesus rightly this morning. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. Nothing else is going to do it. Stop running. Give your life to Jesus today. Here's what I'd love for you to do. If you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room, nobody's looking around, our team is praying. If you've never given your life to Jesus, why not today? Why not this morning? I want to help give you some helpful wording and help lead you in a prayer. A prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. Just helpful wording. But man, if you want Jesus, and if you want him to save you and redeem you, you pray something like this from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I've done what you've told me not to. I know that you love me and you sent your son Jesus to live the life I could not live, die the death that I deserved, was buried and raised again three days later so that I could be forgiven of my sins. Jesus, forgive me. I turn from my sins. I give you my life. I place my faith and trust in you. I give you my past, my present, my future. All I have is yours. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you and for your glory alone with the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Nobody looking around. And I have terrible eyes, so if you just look up at me, I'll never see you. 
But if you're here this morning, you've given your life to Christ, like one did in our first service. Would you raise your hand? It's just me looking around. I, I, I can't, nobody else is looking around. And if that's you this morning, you gave your life to Jesus, would you put your hand up high enough for me to see it? Just put it up high enough for me to see it. I just want, man, I see you, buddy. Man, I see you. Anybody else say, man, that's me. Put it up high enough for me to see it. Man, I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else say, man, that's me. Man, if that was you and you gave your life to Jesus, on, on the screens we have a, a number you can text. Just do me a favor, text that number. Send your first name, it goes to our office and we wanna reach out to you this week. Better yet, hey, the Next Steps tent right out in the lobby, we'd love to give you a Bible, give you some helpful resources. Go, hey, here's what's next. What it looks like to follow after Jesus. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna celebrate with you. Maybe you're here this morning and if you were to be honest, you would look over the last week of your life, the last six months, the last year of your life. And if you were to look back and have it on paper and be able to look at what's signed at the bottom of each of your days, maybe, just maybe, far too often you would see that life has been lived for the glory of something other than the name of Jesus. Maybe this morning we just gotta, man, we gotta lay some things down before the Lord, confess some sin, confess some wrong attitudes or wrong schedules, and realign our eyes on Jesus. The one who humbly gave his life and sacrificed his life on our behalf. That the reason if we are followers of Jesus in this room that we have life eternal is because of Jesus who would save anyone like us. Killing the old self and bringing new life for his glory. Father, we love you. We're thankful for everything you do for us. God, I pray right now for everybody in this room. God, if, if we've lived today thus far for somebody else's glory other than yours, God, help us, correct us, and fix our eyes and our hearts on you. God, I pray that leaving this place would be people who would seek on the rest of their Sunday and starting on their Monday to live for your glory alone. And God, I pray that when we gather together next Sunday, Lord willing, that we would be able to come in here with more often than not lives, no matter what the circumstances of life throws at us, the ups and the downs, that we would be able to come in here and say, I live this week for the glory of God alone. Imperfectly, yes. Oh, but with every ounce of breath I had. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.